Hello, this is Rob Almeida. Welcome to another edition of the MFS Strategist Corner Podcast. The views expressed are those of the speaker and are subject to change at any time. These views are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a recommendation to purchase any security or as an offer of securities or investment advice. No forecast can be guaranteed. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. In this episode, I talk with MFS's chief economist and portfolio manager, Eric Weissman, where we discuss interest rates, duration risk, the Fed, the economy, and how Eric is allocating capital in his portfolios. Eric Weissman, chief economist at MFS, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. All right, Eric, everyone is talking about recession risk, probability of a recession. Let's maybe talk about the tails. So, Maybe less about probability, but what would we need to see to see a material or a significant deep recession? And then on the flip side, what's the um, what would you need to see to see something, I don't know, 4 or 5% growth, something unexpected on either end? So let's look at the right-hand tail, and we'll call that the recession tail, okay. the bad recession tail. The bad recession tail is that you have inflation that's sticky. It won't get back in the box. Your labor market remains quite resilient. Wage inflation is high. And the Fed is looking at the environment and essentially saying, there's no way we're going to get inflation back to 2%. Uh, The market at the moment is pricing in the policy rate to go up to about 350. That doesn't do it. So you're at 4%. You're at 450. The Fed knows it's tightening well beyond neutral. And it knows that it needs to do that in order to take inflation froth off, uh, and you're going to get a recession. So in that sense, it feels like a mini Volcker, a very mini Volcker. It's not raising rates to 20%, but maybe it's raising rates uh, well above 4%. So that's your right-hand tail. And your left-hand tail of sort of not just a soft landing, but a landing that you would view as being quite constructive is... The Fed doesn't even have to raise rates to 325 or 350. Uh, The labor market slows, but it's not shedding labor. The supply side issues resolve themselves quickly and very meaningfully. Inflation falls quickly and relatively meaningfully. Wage inflation falls, and you settle down into 3% growth for a while. Uh, I think that that tail is highly unlikely. Um, The awful recession tale, I think, is unlikely, but perhaps a little bit more possible. Um, And then we find ourselves asking the question, fine, those are your two tales. Like, what's actually in the middle? What are we more likely to see? So in talking to uh, a colleague yesterday, he said, he gave a great line. He basically said, uh, this recession is too easy to forecast. And in that sense, it makes you a little bit worried because if it's that easy to forecast, then it makes you wonder what you're missing. Yeah. So let's go back to labor. Uh, so last night, uh, 115,000 railroad workers, as a for instance, uh, came to an agreement, 20% raise cumulative over the next five years, 4 to 5% annualized. You're seeing uh, demand, you're seeing a scarcity of labor. Um, demand for labor. And to me, this it just strikes me as a reversal, not of the last three years, but really of the last 30 or 40 years. So when we talk about 
the job of a recession. It's to uh, rebalance whatever was out of balance in the real economy. And was the imbalance over the last several years, if not decades, just uh, owners of capital extracting rent and value from labor? Now that's just reversing. So it does seem like a little bit of that's going on. And where you get lost is you're looking at the pie, right? So you're talking all the time about how profit margins are likely to be quite challenged. Well, when you're talking about profit margins, it's another way of saying the capitalist isn't going to get paid, right? Right. So what, what we're missing then is, well, what does that pie look like, capital versus labor? So yep. forget about whether or not profit margins are rising or falling. Let's just think about the pie of stuff that can be paid to either the capitalist or the laborer. And as you've suggested, of that pie, we're now shelling out more to labor. So that should leave less for the capitalist unless you wind up getting cash flow that can offset it. Yeah. And that gets back to another one of your themes. With all of that being said, if you're going to wind up giving folks a 5% annualized increase in their nominal wages, but inflation is running considerably higher yeah. than 5%, then you have real wages that are negative. That will not allow for a sustained wage inflation spiral. A wage inflation spiral means wages are keeping up with inflation, which happened for much of the 1970s. Yeah. What we have seen in the last 18, 24 months is wage inflation in nominal terms that's well higher than what we had seen pre-pandemic and anything we had seen in the previous couple of decades, but still well below <clears throat> inflation. So if I am a household, where can I go to get the funds to continue to spend? Well, I got my nominal wages. They're not keeping up with inflation. I got my savings that I got from the fiscal stimulus uh, after the worst of the pandemic. I've run down an awful lot of that. You now start to see consumers that are digging into their credit pocket. So revolving and non-revolving credit is starting to pick up. This is a textbook stuff. I'm running out of my wages, my income from my wages. I'm going to draw down my savings. I'm going to draw down some wealth. I'm going to access my credit bucket. And at some point, you're going to run out of all of that. And then you would think that growth will be significantly negatively impacted. But we're not there yet. Yeah. Those pockets are still deep enough to keep the consumer in the game. Right, right. Um, let's go back a few years. So in the 2010s, but really the the 16, 17, 18, weak economic growth, weak inflation, but very consistent, low velocity, right? And, and I've seen you talk about this in, in, in front of clients. You knew what GDP was going to be. You knew what inflation was going to be. You had clear visibility. Now, all, all that's flipped on it on its head. But you've been pretty consistent that when the dust settles, and dust we meeting to stimuli, every, everything about this cycle that's been so compressed, um, when the dust settles, growth and inflation should look something like it did pre-COVID. And it seems to me here we are in you know August, and maybe this will get released in early September, but the bond market is reflecting that view, is it not? So... In terms of where the dust settles, right, you think about the last business cycle, and you were talking about inflation that was a little less than 2% and growth that was a little bit higher than 
So nominal, call it 4%. Mm -hmm. We're entering a world, so it seems, that's going to be considerably more volatile. And I think the phrase that you were sort of looking for for the previous, call it 30 years, was the great moderation. Yeah. Right? If, if inflation was 2% last period, it's going to be 2% next period. If growth was 2% last period, growth is going to be 2% next period. Um, and I think there were a number of dynamics that put us into that environment. Many of them are now reversing, right? So we're going to throw an awful lot of money at green technology. We're probably going to have to throw money at dirty technology because we don't have enough energy. We're throwing an awful lot of money at military spending. We're throwing money at supply chain management just in case instead of just in time. That doesn't sound anything like the previous 30 years. So that looks like it's a little, going to be a little bit different. It looks like the demand for capital is going to be higher than it was in the previous three decades. And that spells a little bit higher growth and a little bit higher inflation and should rhyme with a little bit higher interest rates than what we saw in the last business cycle. Now, if we can all remember what was it like in the 1990s and what was it like in the first decade of the 2000s prior to the global financial crisis, I think that is where we're likely to wind up when the dust settles in terms of inflation. Growth won't be quite that high, but growth will be higher than the last business cycle. But what if we wind up crushing it all before it even gets started, right? Here's the problem. What if the Fed winds up just raising rates to well into the fours? It's kind of hard to know. What does that recession look like? How long does that recession last? Do you have another jobless recovery? Uh, and does that set in motion another business cycle where inflation is lower than you thought it was going to be, growth is lower than you thought it was going to be, and you're back into this sort of uh, you know great moderation yet again? An awful lot of what's going to happen in these next 24, 36 months is going to be whether the Fed can thread the needle and create as little pain as possible while meeting their inflation goal. Yeah, it's it seems like um, it seems like a tall order. It should not be easy. Very tall order. And it, it, all those things that you mentioned, um, you know, having to invest in in new technologies. Really, it's for the world to be more sustainable, for companies to be more sustainable. So I agree with that, and and I agree with your. Um, prospect for a little bit higher growth, a little bit higher inflation. But at the same time, when you think about the investments made in the 80s and 90s and putting a desktop on every PC and connecting the world and democratizing information and what that did to productivity, this is very different, right? This is shifting away from what will be a stranded asset to uh, a more sustainable, and that's going to cost money, right? And you and I have talked about that internally, externally. This is not for free. And we're not suggesting that these aren't things that companies should do. Companies have to do it. It's the right thing to do. There's just no choice. But who's going to pay for it? And, and this is over, you tell me if this is an oversimplification, but either the consumer pays for it through higher uh, prices or the company pays for it through lower margins. So even if it does wash out to be a little bit better growth, a little bit more inflation, sort of that, that sweet spot, if you will, I think that comes at the sacrifice of a structurally lower margin, I think what the world has enjoyed the last two decades. I agree entirely. ESG is not free. Right. That's like what I want on a t-shirt or we on a need hat. To, we need to do that. Yeah. Let's do that right after. Let's get that going. Exactly. I think Weissman, a, Almeida Incorporated t-shirt. ESG. 
be a big moneymaker. <laughs> um, necessary, but not free. And unlike what you mentioned in terms of putting a desktop and a screen or another screen in front of someone in the 80s and the 1990s, uh, that's productivity additive, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just being done so that you can tread water in productivity. What we're talking about here with ESG is if you don't do it, and especially on E, yeah. but S and G as well, your productivity is going to fall. Yep. If you do it, your productivity is going to be maintained uh, at probably a fairly meager level. Yeah. So it's not the same, right? We had the productivity miracle um, you know, that we started to put into place in the late 80s, uh, continued through the early 90s, wondering what in the heck it would show up in the numbers, and then it showed up in the numbers in the second half of the 1990s. This isn't going to be a productivity miracle where all of a sudden productivity goes from 1.5% to 3%. This is going to be productivity maintenance so that yeah. productivity stays at 1.5% rather than falling to 50 basis points. Right. So maybe bringing it back to today, um, you, know, you and I differ as economists and strategists versus the external world where we actually manage money, right? Not a lot of economists have portfolios that they're managing. Not a lot of strategists have portfolios that are managing. So real money on the table today, how are you allocating and, and budgeting risk from a duration standpoint in your portfolios? So I think there is a greater than 50-50 chance that we will be in a true recession within the next 12 months. So you know, by some measures, we're already in recession. We have two quarters of negative growth. I think that's a fiction. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's as a result of some volatile elements within GDP accounting. Uh, I think we're talking about a real recession as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is just a bunch of economic activity indicators that are rolling over. So if that's going to happen within the next 12 months, then you should be looking at being longer duration. You should want more uh, risk for... Uh, your sovereign exposure. Yep. So I am overweight duration. Uh, I look at yields in the front end of the curve at 350. Uh, I'm actually short there because I think yields could go a bit higher, but I am long in sovereign debt as you go out 10 year, 30 year, because I think things are going to roll over. You know, the, the worry there is I'm early and that it's going to take longer for this scenario to play out or that the economy remains more resilient and the Fed, while having to do more, um, will be doing it while the economy remains more robust for longer. It would mean a worse recession down the road, yeah. but it means I would be early yeah. in terms of loading up the boat on duration. Well, that's the benefit of where we work, right? We're, we're allowed to be patient. We're encouraged to be, be patient. So really, I, I think what you're saying, and I hear this from clients a, a lot, is you know, they're worried about interest rate risk. They're worried about duration risk because they hear that the Fed and other central banks are going to continue to tighten. But what you're saying, I think, is really what matters is, well, what has the bond market discounted? So what matters less is what they're going to do in September or they're going to do at the meeting after that. But really, What's reflected in the five-year, what's reflected in the 10-year, what's reflected? Is that about right? Yeah. And the market right now, the bond market is not uh, pricing in recession yet. Right. Right? So if I'm right, then yields should be going lower um, as you go out the curve. And if the Fed realizes we've had some success in bringing inflation down good enough and growth is being hit, 
then they'll hit whatever their terminal rate is, 325, 350, 375, whatever it is. They'll be on hold for a while, six months, 12 months, and then they will begin cutting so that they hope that they can sort of manage a softer landing. Uh, so it's not a deep recession. It's not a long recession. Um, and again, in that environment, you would expect that interest rates would be going lower. Yeah, yeah. I'm overweight duration in uh, my income portfolio as well for two reasons. One, because you've been talking about this for, for some time, about uh, you know when the dust settles and what the world will look like. And I think the curve generally re reflects that. Uh, but two, going into the year, going into 2022, we didn't know what was going to, in fixed income, what was going to blink first, duration, the yield curve, or credit markets. Now we can argue they both blinked together. Um, but I think the high quality or duration end of fixed income markets, that's been de-risked. And like you said, maybe not fully, maybe a little bit early, but relative to the risk markets where you're dependent on a company selling a widget, you're depending upon a margin start, you're dependent on kind of be, being able to pass along those higher input costs, specifically labor, which continues to go higher and higher. There's uh, an element of risk there that recession risk that just doesn't seem to be priced in with you know high yield trading 400 over 10% of that market, 15% of that market. Um, cash flows are just used to pay back debt. They're not even free cash flow positive. It just seems like there's a lot of still unpriced risks in the rest of the capital markets. If you think there's going to be a recession, right. then equity markets should be lower yeah. at some point soon. Yep. And credit spreads should be wider. Yeah. So those markets are saying soft landing. Um, the sovereign bond market is saying softish landing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a while there where equities were down quite a bit more than they are at the moment and then spreads were wider where we were teetering at that point of saying, uh-oh, uh, recession. We've backed off of that a lot. And with the latest inflation print, the markets have continued to sort of be more buoyant based on one inflation print. Right. So if you're going to have a relatively strong labor market, <clears throat> service sector inflation is essentially tied at the hip with the labor market, then you're likely to have wage inflation that continues to remain way too high for the Fed. So again, how do you get to that soft landing? You need help. Yeah. Um, and like you say, it shouldn't be easy. The supply side, the normalization of all these global bottlenecks, as well as the domestic bottlenecks, the labor participation rate needs to go higher. All these bottlenecks need to be resolved. The war in Ukraine needs to end. Um, be nice to get some rain in the middle <laughs> of Europe and right here in Massachusetts. But right, yeah, the Rhine right now is no longer navigatable in terms of freight. Like right. you have environmental issues that are going on. You got wars that are going on. You got post-COVID bottleneck things that are going on. Um, makes for a very difficult environment, again, to navigate if you're a policymaker. Yeah, it's uh, square the circle, so they say. Well, Eric, um, I think that about covers everything. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Rob. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this and past conversations in this series, please subscribe to the MFS Strategist Corner podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All MFS podcasts, along with 
other market and investment commentaries from MFS can also be found at our website, mfs.com. Again, thank you. Thank you.